Now more than ever, it is important that we provide care and services that keep our communities well before they require acute interventions. From mental health and wellbeing services to setting up families for a healthy life or even transforming the culture of a community, these projects help people live a happy and healthy life and free up capacity for the most unwell members of the community. We're going to do this a little bit different today. Um, I'm going to start with acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we are on here today and those on Palm Island, paying my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. What we're going to do today is something in the essence of yarning. I'm hoping we're going to have some nice um, photos come up of Palm Island that are just going to slowly scroll behind while we talk. There's no PowerPoint slides, there's no information. What we wanted to do was really tell a bit of a story. So I hope that you'll enjoy them in the background. I have brought some people with me. I need to give the apologies of um, Mayor Mislam Sam, who was also going to be here. Unfortunately, I'll be talking on his behalf. He's been unable to come. I also have Senior Sergeant Dave Rutherford, who's been on Palm Island for 10 years. Advanced health worker Janice Johnson, who has spent most of her life on Palm Island and has worked within health for the last 20 years. Danielle Causer, who is the project lead on Palm. My role was the exec COVID lead for the HHS, and Palm was one of our really challenging things to work through. So in the essence of learning from stories, let me tell you a little bit about Palm Island. It is a beautiful tropical island off the coast of Townsville. It was originally populated following a cyclone in 1918, where there was a mission just north of Cardwell that was destroyed. Those people were relocated to Palm and were the original people of Palm Island. Palm has a complex history. It's important that we touch on that because that impacted on how we did our response. Palm Island became a punishment place for documented removals. It had dormitories, children were sent there, and in fact, if um, Ms. Lam, um, Sam, the mayor, had been here, he would have talked about his history, which was that his great-grandmother, I think, possibly his grandmother, was removed as a three-year-old from her family um, and sent to Palm Island, and that's his connection. This led to 40 different tribes on the island. Um, it is important to note that during the Second World War, the Americans actually had a naval station on Palm to protect Australia, and particularly the North. At the same time that this was occurring, the people of Palm Island were not recognised. They were under the Flora and Fauna Act, and as we all know, they were not counted in the population until 1967. Taking aside its complex history, I want to tell you now what Palm is like today. Palm has a population that probably varies between two and 3,000 people. It is arguably one of the largest discrete communities in Queensland, and as said, it is also an island. It has connection with almost every other Indigenous community um, across Australia and is really known for positive influences now, and it is a credit to the people of Palm for that. It's a vibrant community despite the challenges. It's positive, forward-thinking. We couldn't have done what we did with our COVID response um, without the support of the community. That was key to what we delivered. So let me just talk about what we did with our initial response before I hand over to some other people to tell their stories. I'd like to remind everybody at the time we were preparing for Delta. 
There was panic and concern from across the world, not least in Australia with New South Wales and Victoria, having extensive hospitalisations and deaths. The vision of the rest of the world was frightening for the community on Palm, as it was for us. And there was a perception that something dreadful was coming and it was going to be impossible to protect people from that. We had some information from the community known as Wilcania in New South Wales, where there had been an inability for people to isolate. There was no accommodation, and many of you will remember the visions of 30 or 40 mobile homes being driven into that community to support them. For us, that wasn't going to be feasible on an island. Originally, Palm was under the biosecurity when we were all in Australia starting to work through COVID. Um, there was an enforcement piece um, which Dave's going to talk about. And then all of a sudden, the borders were open and it felt like all or nothing. There was fear. There was palpable fear that something dreadful was coming. The island had lots of advantages for us um, from the point of view that we were able to control who was on the island and who wasn't. Um, however, um, from a perspective of pre-planning, it was very difficult. What we did... We initially started by working in partnership and understanding local knowledge and what the community wanted. We had to have a number of conversations to understand those needs and fears of the community. They were very real. We had to support community expectations and we worked really closely with QAS, QPS, PIC, the local council and QHealth. We had to accept challenging conversations, even of those of us in senior roles it had to be okay to disagree, but we had to land a decision, and there were many heated conversations, because at the time, we didn't know what was coming. We decided on a principle of care closer to home, and we decided on a principle of, if you can isolate the individual, we'll isolate the individual. If we cannot isolate the individual, then we'll try and isolate whoever lives in that home. And if we can't do that, we'll try and isolate the community and protect that way. That, at the time, was actually quite a challenge to get people to agree to. But the senior people in principle thought that was the right thing to do. And we felt that the people of Palm Island deserved to be in their own home, the same as you would if you were anywhere else in Queensland. We started with some infrastructure. We've got a 12-bed facility on Palm Island, Joyce Palmer Health Service. We took it up to 20, we emptied offices, we sent an enormous container of beds and equipment over and we got ourselves organised. We redid the entire floor plan of the hospital so that if we had to turn that into a full COVID hospital, we could do. We brought a mobile mortuary to the island. At the time, that was very challenging. In fact, I think it was even mentioned on Sky News. But we were trying to prepare for whatever was happening. To give you an example as to how hard some of the things are on Palm Island from an infrastructure perspective, we got our equipment there and we couldn't get the mobile mortuary moved into position because we didn't have the right crane. We had to bring that on a different barge to be able to do that. We sorted out accommodation for our staff knowing that we would have large numbers deployed and we used one of our community buildings for that. We brought some dongers onto the island for close contacts, unable to isolate, or people that wanted to remain as safe as possible um, from their families. We had a long list of operational planning, um, all the things you would expect. Testing, we had early transition to rats, including the rats all being put onto the public health system. 
signage and comms, the health service supported not only our hospital but also the community controlled primary care service. We did swabbing of people coming off the island, going to the island. We worked with the ferry company, the airline that flies out to Palm. And we did the virtual ward, but we did a different virtual ward to what everybody else in this room is used to. We did a door-to-door -door virtual ward. We had to work out how to do infection control from cars. We did in-home testing, in-home vaccination. Now, the next slide I'm going to talk to um, is some information that Mayor Ms Lam Sam would have presented. So I'm just presenting this on his behalf. There was great fear in the community during COVID. Nobody wanted to be the first case. In fact, it would have been the preferred um, option for that first case to have been brought in from the outside. There was a terrible shame factor associated with COVID and actually so strong that the first case denied that they had COVID and still to this day deny that they had it. Nobody wanted to be the person that brought it in and caused death which was what people thought was going to happen. The community felt strongly that COVID would be brought onto the island by an outsider, but this was not the case. Remembering that we have a very fluid population in Palm, it has all these connections. People come and go all the time. There was a fear of the impact of death on the community. Not only that, but the repercussions of community leaders that at the time were making the bravest decisions they'd ever had to make decisions that would last for decades if they got it wrong, if large numbers of people died, then that would be felt forever. So pressure on those local communities was palpable, community leavers was palpable to get this right. They wanted to care for the elders. They have um, residents in Sandy Boyd, which is a residential aged care run by the local council. Decision was made to move those residents off island which we did have to argue quite strongly for um, because there was just fear that something would happen to them. Community messaging in local language and media was really key. Posters, Facebook, local radio, using emergency alert systems that were culturally appropriate and focusing on enabling and empowering the community. Reinforcing the successes, I think, achieved were working together. For Palm Island, this was not a health response, but a community response to a health crisis. We've talked about some of the main agencies, but I want to talk about just a list some of the others. The local store. We couldn't have done this without the cooperation of the local store. The two local schools. Sealink, which do the ferry. Hinterland Aviation, which do the flights. QFES, um, the Commonwealth, the federal departments, um, houses and communities, selectability mental health services. And really importantly, the local bistro, the local fish and chip shop, um, and the many, many other people that work on Palm. I'm going to hand over now to Senior Sergeant Dave Rutherford, who's just going to give you his story of Palm. Thanks, Judy. Uh, the response to the pandemic in Queensland is has been uh, undertaken using the Queensland Disaster Management Arrangements, which has local, district and state levels of response. On Palm Island, that response is the, uh, driven by the Palm Island Local Disaster Management Group, which is chaired by our Mayor. Uh, our local disaster coordinator is the CEO, and then other core members are mainly uh, emergency services. 
Now, I've been an OC of, in remote communities for 18 years and uh, have found the LDMG works really well when we're dealing with our typical type disaster, which is generally a cyclone or a weather event, uh, where we're generally very well planned, uh, have practised what we do, what we've, uh, how, our response, and carry it out. And we generally also know all the people in our group very well because we've worked together for a long time. COVID just threw that on its ear because, of course, we're working with extremely long preparation times, long response times, and now moving into recovery even two years later. And probably most challenging for a lot of us was Queensland Health as a lead agency. Generally, it's the police or uh, the council. And uh, one of our first introductions to that is, like, generally you have one person from each agency sitting on the, uh, uh, in the group. Queensland Health turned up to one meeting with 12 people, uh, all who had different opinions. So go back to March 2020, uh, we didn't have a vaccine of course and we knew COVID was on the way or we feared it was on the way. So as an LDMG we decided we'd move quickly to uh, lock people out of the island that may potentially bring COVID to us. Um, that created, as Judy's mentioned, an island has some advantages because really the only ways we can get people onto the island are air, ferry and also private vessel. So even though we didn't really understand what piece of legislation we were working under, because at that stage we were debating were we under the Disaster Management Act or were we under the Public Health Act, the LDMG moved to restrict the access to the island, including stopping people using their private vessels to travel to and from the island. Now, Palm is seen as a bit of a leader amongst the uh, discrete communities and I sat there in March, drafted up our public notice and put it out and next thing within a week that notice was just about on every other Indigenous commu discrete communities websites. So they, they were looking to our lead. Uh, now just when we started to think we were getting things worked out and how we were operating the Federal Health Minister decided to put the determined biosecurity determination in place. Or more correctly, it's called the biosecurity, human biosecurity emergency, human coronavirus with pandemic potential, emergency requirements for remote communities determination 2020. <laughs> so, and essentially, in one respect it was good, the other thing was it was actually not quite as strong as the uh, restrictions we'd put in place, but we had to work with it. That, in essence, meant that uh, Palm Island became lifeboat Palm Island for some people for the next four months. Um, so there was a real uh, incredible restriction in, of movement. People were allowed to... Essential services were allowed to come and go, which created a fair bit of community angst. Um, but if you were, had no reason to travel, if you left the island, then you basically could not come back until the determination was lifted. And we didn't know when that would be lifted. Um, one of the outcomes of it, of course, COVID did not come to the island during uh, uh, the time of the determination and the lockout. Of course, there was very little in North Queensland anyway. But uh, 
One thing that one of the really interesting outcomes of it is we found that our crime dropped by about 80 per cent. There wasn't there was a huge restriction in illegal alcohol and drugs coming to the island, um, which in turn meant people were staying home a lot more. And people were actually saying, it's amazing, families are suddenly going out and taking their kids out to picnics and entertaining, the entertaining themselves. And people were also saying, I have relatives now who have food in the fridge, whereas they don't usually have food in the fridge because their money's going on other things. Anyway, in about July uh, 2020, the determination ended and we then just relied on our state government um, restrictions, which did work well. So we stayed COVID free and we kept planning um, and getting, trying to get people vaccinated, which in itself was a massive uh, task. Another issue we really had some difficulties dealing with and transitioning through is at the same time, our primary care health care was transitioning to a community-controlled health organisation and they were responsible for the uh, vaccinations. That was a really interesting experience because I, I think it, for them, sometimes it was more than they'd uh, decided that they were signing up for. And there were lots of robust discussions about even just trying to work out what our vaccination numbers were. We were getting figures on some days up to 80 per cent, down to 30 per cent. It was all over the place. Uh, and also that community controlled health organisation is not a core member of our LDMG. They were an invitee. Um, and as Judy's mentioned, there, has been, there was a great fear in the community that ultimately when COVID came, it was going to be brought in by, the, uh, by an outsider. So when the state uh, borders opened in uh, early December uh, of 2021. Uh, myself, the mayor and the CEO called down the medical super and had a discussion about where we thought we might have been going and he assured us that, that it would be on the, his projections and the way things looked. Sometime in April 2022 COVID would make it to the island. That was in early December he told us. It was the 31st of December that we had our first case. Uh, and as Judy's talked about, shame and denial was a massive part of, uh, that we were dealing with. And also the social media, which I know we were up against the rumours and uh, untruths. So what did we do once COVID got there? We stood up our uh, local disaster management uh, group and we operated a local disaster coordination centre for over three months. We had two meetings a day an eight o'clock meeting where we were, um, were um, deciding what the daily activities would be and then a 10.30 meeting with the whole LDMG which was more a strategic meeting to see how we were moving and where we were going forward. There were many uh, robust discussions during those meetings and one of the issues that we particularly came up against was uh, Palm Island is, a, even though it's got around three and a half thousand people. It's a small community. Everyone knows everyone else's business. So everyone basically knew who may have COVID and who wouldn't and who was subject of uh, isolation orders. So there was a huge amount of uh, pressure on 
from the police perspective on the police that we should be taking action about on people who are breaching their isolation orders. That said, Queensland Health wouldn't tell us who, was, who had COVID, so we couldn't prove uh, whether a person should be in isolation or not. As I said, eventually we came, we got uh, from uh, the powers up that be in Queensland Health agreed that we would be supplied with the addresses that were in isolation. Now that's really important because we're actually trying to help those addresses because unlike uh, the suburbs of Brisbane, there is no home delivery of food. Uh, you're actually, your electricity isn't on an account, it's actually pay as you go more or less, so people in isolation couldn't go and top up. So we had to coordinate those things to houses. Um, yes, there were a lot of people reporting matters to us about people in isolation, but ultimately we took an approach of uh, issuing warnings to people and trying to get their compliance. It's also very difficult when a lot of the times you're talking about kids that just being locked in the house with, in an overcrowded house. Some of our houses on the island have up to 20 people living in them. Um, it's pretty hard to keep people at home. Anyway, that's operated, that operated for over three months and uh, it uh, worked well for us. The community was always involved in how we were reacting and fortunately for us, with over 700 cases on the island, we've had no deaths. So hopefully we can keep doing that and moving forward while we're still moving into recovery. Thank you. I'd like you all to welcome Janice Johnson up. Um, Janice has come from Palm Island today. She's a health worker. She lives on the island. She's never spoken to any sort of audience, never mind one this big, so she's a little nervous. Um, but I think it's really important that you hear from her. Thank you. I'm hoping that uh, I know I'm short, <laughs> but I know you there. Okay. Um, yes. Um, my name is Janice Johnson. Everybody knows me on Palm as Julie. I have lived on Palm Island for 11 since I was 11 years old, and I have worked with Queensland Health for 20 years. And I'm also assistant in nursing for 12 years. At the moment, I am so proud of my community. We have struggled, yes, but we helped a hell of a lot. This is my community that I like to stand up and be proud of. We have helped each other. We made sure that everybody recovered without no other illnesses. We had hope that nobody has passed away from this. I am so proud that the workers that I have worked with have realised how much people have respected them in helping them. When I go out with the swabbers, I go out first to, treat, to speak to the people in their home. Then 
uh, bring out the swabbers to do the swabbings. I make sure that all the workers that I've worked with being safe. And not only that, we sit down and we discuss things with the family members. Some of the families, they always seem so quite content on worrying about everybody else in the community, which is good. It shows me that my community has been connected through this thing. I know it's hard for my people. We can be very stubborn. We can be selfish. We can be greedy. But I'll tell you one thing. We are one tribe, and that one tribe is very, very strong. In my pride, in my time, I am proud to say I am a Borgerman woman, a Wainy and Digi. I am so proud of them. think that um, you can hear from Janice the effect that we managed to do with the community. It was not health doing it, this was a community response to a health crisis. I'm just going to ask Danielle Causer to come up, she's just going to tell you, just tie all this together and then I've just got a few words at the end and then we'll be finished and let everybody go for their lunch. Danielle. Thank you. Um, I hope you're all enjoying these photos that are going on in the background. Um, these are photos that were taken from the teams that went to Palm Island. Um, just some, some random bits of our experience out there. And of course, no presentation would be a presentation without all the data, because we love data. Nothing ever happens unless we've got the data to go behind it. So the vaccinations we talked about briefly. Um, they were, they were done in partnership with the Commonwealth and the HHS. Um, we used, as well as the primary care centre, uh, we also went door to door. Uh, we used that as an opportunity to get an indicator of the population, so taking, almost taking a head count of the houses, um, of who was in those houses, so that we could make sure we were giving correct information to the people of the LDMG to support the community. Uh, we also vaccinated at community barbecues. The PCYC had an event on um, once school went back, so we you know, would have vaccinations there. Um, and also when, this, when the uh, 5 to 11s became eligible, we were vaccinating at the schools as well. As Judy said, uh, the uh, testing, the swabbing, uh, we were early adopters onto using the rapid antigen testing. Uh, you'll all remember how the delays of the PCRs were having an impact on people getting their results and uh, we couldn't have that for the community of Palm Island. So we, we quickly moved over to rapid antigen tests, but maintaining them on the NOx um, programs with the public health unit, again, to continue to support the isolation and the houses. Uh, there's a... Uh, the Joyce Palmer Health Service, so the hospital on Palm Island, has an FTE of 15. Um, we, as at uh, Townsville, had to provide support to the staff at Joyce Palmer to be able to provide this response. They're an incredible team. Um, the team that we would send over as well to support them uh, were either fly in, fly out. 
uh, or they were some were staying on island. Uh, we had a, a few weather events similar to what's happening at the moment, and of course planes won't fly if they can't see. So we had a few uh, nurses and uh, additional staff who had had a, a promptu sleepover. Um, so we had to make sure we could wash clothes and get them into some uh, old theatre scrubs for the next day. But all of these people, we had um, allied health, dental, medical, medical students, admin nurses and of course nursing students and any graduate nurses who uh, hadn't picked up a grad program who were local around. We used them as part of the support to Joyce Palmer and as Janice has mentioned, uh, look, they, they were nervous to come over. Um, but, you know, we're not going to hide. Uh, but after their experience, and as you can see from some of the footage and some of the photos that were taken, they had a fantastic time. We, we are immensely proud that we've had the opportunity to work with Janice and the health workers and the local people of, um, of Palm Island to be able to work together as a community to provide this response. Uh, we had to have an uplift in um, extended hours of the primary health care centre. It was no longer a, a Monday to Friday, nine till three kind of event. We had to work through 12-hour shifts. Uh, swabbing on and off the island at its peak, we were, you know, 110 swabs a day. And for, you know, 15, 10 to 15 staff, that's quite a, a significant amount of work for them to be able to get through and making sure that we're keeping all, the, uh, all our records intact. Um, the virtual ward, as Judy mentioned, was a door-to-door -door virtual ward and the success of that would only have been possible with um, the likes of Janice and the health workers who were able to uh, mediate and navigate us into, into those homes. And, you know, I'm not a small person. I'm a nine-foot white giant turning up in a sperm suit. I want to shove a stick up your nose uh, and then you're going to stay at home for a week, OK? You know. It, it doesn't go down real well, so it's really thanks to, thanks to Janice and her team that we were able to achieve this. Um, as Dave said, we had seven, well, currently we're over 700 cases on the island, which is a significant percentage of people um, managing through COVID. We had two retrievals related to COVID, but business continues as normal, so the, you know, the chopper will come and retrieve patients to go to Townsville Hospital for additional care. Um, but we, we really wanted to note that we only ever had two that were directly related to COVID. And as, as has been said, immensely proud that there have been no deaths related to COVID. We talked about the reporting already, um, you know, the daily reporting to the public health unit, the uh, Townsville Hospital and Health Service executives through the LDMG to Joyce Palmer's staff, because they're there working every day. We were blow-ins coming over just to harass them. Um, and of course the community and each message that we would share would be exactly the same. We wanted to make sure that everybody got the same message. So I guess um, before Judy does her finals sum up, I just want to make sure that people understand that if, if you can learn anything from this experience, what we've learnt is that you need to embrace the challenge of working with community, even doing things differently, even if it feels risky. Thanks. Last few words, which um, Mayor Sam would have delivered if he was here. So we all believe that the same as any other community, Palm Island is equal. All communities should have an equal voice and should be treated the same. 
The success of the Palm Island COVID response was only achieved through enabling and empowering the community. A community-led response to a health crisis, not a health-led response. Innovative models of care and working through what they need to look like with the community and trying your best to appease people's fears. Ultimately, working together with the community for the community, we couldn't have done it without the full support of the people of Palm Island. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.